0: We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so as soon as you finish your ballot, pass those in, and open your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, whatever you got, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in the second part of the chapter. I heard that uh, Pastor Tom hit a home run last week with his uh, weak made strong sermon. Was that good? That's good. Um, You know, we need to know that. We need to hear that. Make sure that when, uh, I think one of the pastors recently said it, maybe it was Stephen Furtick, if if you're thinking something good about someone, tell them. You know, when, when the, someone leads you into good worship it's, and you compliment them, it's not to go to their head. It's just to say they're walking in the gifts and the calling that God's called them to and they need to be confident about that. And I know that it goes a long way when you go tell Pastor Tom or Pastor Rob or myself or whatever, hey, good job. I know it's not you. I know it's God working through you, but it was still good because it encouraged us to go harder and to be better. But even in our own lives, our spouses, our kids, we got to encourage. But anyway, I'm blessed to have those guys on my staff. But we're talking today, this morning, the second half of the chapter that Pastor Tom stopped at about verse 10 last week. We're going to go into verses 11 through 21 in chapter 12. And really, um, it's all about love and correction. How many of you guys would agree that we all need a little love and correction in our lives from time to time? You guys agree on that? Some of you guys that didn't raise your hand, I promise I'm going to win you over this morning. I'm going to talk you into it using the word of God, because that's what Paul is doing here, is we all need times of correction. And I don't want you to think that when you hear the message on correction, you instantly go, oh, negative. I don't like that word. I don't like to correct people, and I don't like to be corrected. I'm just going to kind of tune out and draw some pictures and check my email. Anybody, come on, texting, Uh, I'm not into the sermon. What are you doing today, right? None of that going on here. God is gonna speak to you this morning, I believe it, and you're gonna get fed and it's gonna be good because anytime the word of God speaks and it comes out, it doesn't go away void. It's always there to change our lives. So it in itself corrects us. But on my three-week staycation, as I was putting together this sermon, I noticed that even in my own life, that there's a lot of correction that happens. That God calls believers to correct one another, right? And he also calls believers to receive correction from one another because God is always trying to correct us. And by correction, it's not a bad word. It simply means instructing and helping to guide us to put us back on track with Jesus Christ because he's the ultimate thing that we're trying to aim at like a compass that always the needle always has to point to north. Ours always points to J, right? Not jack in the box who's hungry right now but to Jesus, right? And then all that Paul is trying to say and all that God's trying to do in our, our lives is always point us back to true north is what Jesus is planning in our life because he wants us to have the best life possible. So he likes to correct us, but you know the number one way that he, he corrects us in our lives? He uses other people. I mean, that's the thing about God. He's all about relationships. He's all about people. He speaks through his word. He speaks through conviction of the Holy Spirit. He may speak through worship or whatever, but more often than not, God has put us in each other's lives because he knows that we're stronger if we all serve and live together in unity. Amen? Amen. And so he's going to call us to correct one another, and he's going to call us to be open to receiving that correction. On my vacation, I realized that there's a lot of correcting that I do to my kids, and not all of it is negative. There's a lot of the fun stuff where it's like I got to have the privilege of surfing with my 14-year-old daughter, and that doesn't happen very often. I surf with my son, 11, and we do that a lot, and And, you know, we have a good relationship, but sometimes when you have 14-year-olds, it's hard to connect with them as parents. Amen? Anybody? Come on, you feel me? Teenage years, that's not always the easiest, right? And the problem is I wasn't always the easiest, so God's kind of laughing at me now. I gave you one just like you were to your parents, right? And that's how it works. But I got to connect with my daughter, and it was just simple, just us two out surfing, catching waves, and I was just so blessed to give correction, not... That kind of correction, but like, hey, put your feet here when you stand up, and here's how where the the, the leash goes, and here's how you wax it. Go for this way, This is gonna be a good one. And I was able to bless her life and help her an instructor on this fun sport. And I just got so stoked to be a part of that kind of correction. That's a good kind of correction. And with my other kids, I was helping Isaac build a Halloween costume. My daughter Sammy uh, ice skating. You know, she doesn't want to have anything to do with the little like, you know, what are those little deals? The slider, handicap slider, walker things. I don't know. I don't know what they are, but those are, they're helpful, right? But she's four, so she's too big. So I don't need that, Dad. Let me go. But I know that the minute that I let go of her, you guys know what happens, right? Like, and down. And so I have to help her. And I start helping her, help me, Dad. And I help her for like two seconds. She'll, let me go. I'm like, "What? what? make up your mind. You're like, up, you're down. But that kind of stuff to me is fun when I get to bring that kind of instruction and correction in, in my kid's life. But there's times in my life I don't want to correct. There's times when they're beefing and I'm just like, I don't wanna get into it, I'm driving in the car, they're snapping, they're yelling, and it's like, ah, oh, be quiet, but I know that if I get into it, they're gonna be mad at me, and I'm, I'm reaching in the back, saying, shut up, shut up. No, just kidding. Please be quiet, my little angels, I love you so. Thank you, God bless you. But there's times when you do the correcting that you don't like to do, you know what I mean? Like, I don't wanna get involved even in this stuff, you know? They're gonna snap at me, like, showering is a big issue in our house, okay? My 11-year-old son doesn't want to have anything to do with showers every single day. It's like warfare every single day. Just come on, Buzz, just take a quick shower. So he holds you to your word, right? Quick shower means he's in, he's out that door in 30 seconds, hair is not wet. He's, he may be wet, but he's not clean. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're wet, but you stink. And... He never uses the shampoo, whatever, and it's just like, I have to read him the rights. Go in there, use soap, use it here, 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 use shampoo, use, you know what I mean? And so it's like, oh, but I'd rather not have to correct it because it's just like a war, right? And then my youngest, Sammy, I almost called her Samuel, Samantha, (laughs) she's four years old, she's the one that doesn't leave the shower. Because she's got the dinosaurs in there, and she's got the washcloth on her head, you know, and she's, she's just wasting, burning our water bill, right? And she's got, she'll use an entire costco size bottle of shampoo in one shower. I come in there, and it's all gone, and, and what are you doing? I'm doing art on the walls and everything, right? But I just, there's sometimes when it's hard to correct, but in our lives, this is the point, in our lives, God expects that we'd be willing to receive correction from other people, But we'd also be willing to get uncomfortable, to risk the fight, and to correct people, to bring them into alignment, not with us, but with true north, with Jesus' will and his love and his word in our lives. Does that make sense? So it's necessary and it's helpful. And here's Paul giving us some some examples this morning. And I'm going to give you guys, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, I'm going to give you four things about how to give correction well, and I'm going to give you four things about how to receive correction well. Then we're gonna talk about what type of correction we ought to give. But look at 2 Corinthians verse 11 in chapter 12. Paul says to the Corinthian church who he, he started and he loves and he keeps having to correct them. He says, you've made me act like a fool boasting like this. Again, this is stuff we've been hearing throughout all of his letters. Paul is like, I'm tired of trying to prove myself to you guys, that I have authority to speak into your lives. Look, I love you. I started the church there. What more do you want? Stop making me boast. Even though I'm boasting about God, it's just, I'm tired of it. It's redundant already. You know, stop making me act like a fool. You ought to be writing commendations for me. For I'm not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. It's a weird statement. I'm not inferior to these super apostles that go around and teach in your churches and you think are so great. I'm not inferior to them, but really I'm just nothing at all. Here's in Paul, the perfect balance of the Christian life, our attitude should be. It's all about God. I'm not inferior, but me and my own flesh, I'm nothing at all. And that if we can walk in that type of humility from day to day and realize that balance of everything good that's in my life comes from God and every gift that I have, it's all God because me left to my own devices, I'm rubbish, right? And Paul, he's just, he's good with stating that. He says, I'm not inferior because when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I'm an apostle for I... The word apostle means one sent out. He was sent from God. He goes, look, I gave you proof that I'm representing God. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. And this is where he gets a little sarcastic, right? Because he's basically saying, you know what? Oh, there is one thing I didn't do for you guys. You guys are right to criticize me. I didn't become a burden to you. Excuse me, right? He's like, sorry for not being a financial burden to you. But he's going, do you guys see that I'm just trying to love you? I'm trying to give you good advice and godly correction, and it's not from a place of a bad heart. So here's the four things I want you to write down about giving correction, because God will and does call us to correct other Christians at times. But there's a way that we do it that is right and that is righteous. Number one, we gotta realize God expects us to give correction. We have a responsibility to represent him to others. God expects us to give correction. That means, I just told a bunch of you guys here right now, you cannot ignore the problems that you see that are around you, because God says, if it's in your power to do something about it, to help someone get pointed back at God, he's expecting you to do it, you have a responsibility to do it. You cannot say, ah, correction, it's kinda weird, it's kinda sticky, it's optional, I don't really feel like doing it, someone else will talk to them. God says, if you see it, you better do it. Here's two verses. Ezekiel 33, verse eight. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. God holds us responsible if it's within our power to act on correcting people. Here's another verse, New Testament. Galatians 6, one through three. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, those are two key words there, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, underline this, obey the law of Christ. We are obeying Christ when we share each other's burdens and we point out the wrong in people's life and we gently and humbly put them back on track. It's an act of obedience. He says, in this way, we obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important, right? Here's here's a really interesting thing. Sorry, this past week, we had an open house, which is anyone that's fairly new to the church, come and meet our staff, get a free dinner, find out a little bit about the church and go home. Just a real quick, easy thing to get to know you if you're new. People came to Tuesday night's open house and our men's pastor, Lance Lasconia said, hey, I met all these new guys and I'm plugging them into the men's ministry. And I already met this one guy and I didn't even know it. And I don't, I don't even remember the name of the guy or whatever. He was just telling me the story. And he says, "Um, yeah, we had already met somewhere before. And the guy told him, hey, how do we know each other? And he goes, I don't know. He couldn't think about it. And then he remembered that this was a guy that he, he didn't meet, He met at the open house, but he had already met because he'd been driving down the road. I don't know where even it was, what part of the island or whatever, driving down the road, and he saw someone with a broken down car. And so Lance pulled on the side to go offer help and help the guy fix his car. I don't know if it got started, fixed or whatever, but the fact is he went out of his way to stop and to go help someone. So then he ends up coming to open house, and they're going, how do we know each other? And they go, hey, we were the ones on the, I stopped to help you. Yeah, I remember that. How cool. And I just got to say this, because the first point that I said is God expects us to give correction, I gotta be thankful for a men's pastor that isn't just the men's pastor when he puts on the Men of Hope shirt. He's not just the men's pastor at 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings at men's fraternity or at seven o'clock on a Friday night when he and his family come to church. He is a Christian that represents Christ wherever he's at that he would stop on the side of the road. See, here's the, here's the point I'm getting at. God expects us to get involved if someone is in need. Sometimes that need that people have is to be corrected. And the correction, again, is just like helping someone on the side of the road. Let me help get you up and running in your life and get you back on track, pointed to Jesus. And so correction doesn't always have to be a negative thing. It's simply, I see that guy's going off a little bit. So you know what? God expects me to do something because I saw it. So I'm responsible. Remember John Wiley, the pastor that always said, you see the things and you go, somebody oughta, somebody ought to do that. And God's going, well, it's you because you saw it. You got to do something. So God expects us to give correction in one another's lives. Here's the second thing. Love is always the motivation for our correction. Love is always the motive for our correction. It's gotta be done in love. You're correcting people because you care about people. And it's hard sometimes and it's uncomfortable, but it's better that you get the uncomfortable feeling it's because you have that love for them and you wanna correct their lives. Love is always our motive for correction. Proverbs 27, verses five and six. It says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If your motive is love, then you're gonna get in people's faces once in a while. And sometimes it, I mean get in people's faces by like, whoa, it sounds like you're really harshly correcting them, but a lot of times it's just that simple, plain, gentle, hey, can I just ask you to, to do this? I saw this in your life, and it's just because I love you. You're Paul saying, I, I love these people, that's why I'm getting involved in their lives. but love always has to be the, the motive for why we correct people. It's uncomfortable to correct people sometimes, but guess what? If it's done in love, love always wins. You gotta remember that. I'm I don't know if I'm gonna risk something here, but you know what? If it's love, then those people are gonna be okay and the life's gonna be made better because love was the motivator. Love always wins. Here's what I think. Life is too in short life is too short for anything less. Life is too short for us to not invest in people. When you deal with the fact that those two people just died, two men of God that just died this past Wednesday, start thinking, I gotta have love and real love means I'm gonna kind of speak real words to people sometimes. Love has always got to be the motive for correction. Um, the, the way that Uncle Sam came to church in that first photo I showed you guys, the way that he came to church is a story all in itself about someone getting out of themselves and loving someone else. A woman in our church, Monique Taylor, she and her husband have been awesome members forever in our church. And uh, her father was really sick and went in the hospital and he was about to pass away. And she was there visiting him all the time and ministering to him. And he wasn't a Christian. And throughout the time of his sickness and everything, she was successful in leading her father to the Lord. And he eventually passed away. But she was rejoicing because praise God, we know where he's going now, right? But in the midst of his stay in the hospital, he became best friends with his other roommate that was in the hospital room with him. And that was Uncle Sam. And Uncle Sam has had one of his legs uh, amputated. Um, he had a lot of health issues. He was in there, and he was hurting. And so the two of them, Sam and Monique's dad, became really good friends. So, so Monique's dad passed, and they're grieving. They're rejoicing that he found Jesus, but they're, they're going through it. They're going through life, and they're grieving. But Monique took the time to get out of herself and love on Sam and said, Sam, what's the matter? Because Sam over here was broken up. He was losing it. He didn't know Jesus, and he was crying. What's the matter, Sam? What's the matter? I miss you, Dad. That was my friend. I miss him. And she goes, you know what? You can see him again someday. Would you like that? No, he's dead. He's dead. I can't. No, you can. Let me tell you about how you can do that. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about eternal life in heaven. And she led Sam to Jesus Christ, right? and, And it's an amazing story. She led him to Jesus. He started coming to church. Guy and Monique would pick him up from the Aloha Care Home every week, bring him to church. His service was... I think not this one, it was the next service after this. And he'd always sit like right over here. But here's the amazing thing. Sam started coming in a wheelchair with a neck brace, all sore, we began to pray, and the love of Jesus began to work in his life. Pretty soon you don't see the neck brace anymore. Pretty soon he's not in the wheelchair anymore. He's at the walker, pretty soon he's just walking in. Pretty soon Uncle Sam is shining the light and he's pushing his other friend in the wheelchair now to church and coming to church with them. Now get this. Monique and Guy and their mini church set up a system where about six mini churches, eight mini churches, something like that, they do a rotation where they go and they would bring mini church to the care home for Uncle Sam, for Mike, for the guys that are in there, and there's this amazing story. But you know how it started? It started with Monique saying, I'm in the middle of grieving and my dad and all this, but you know what? I still got love for other people, and I see a need, and poor Sam is hurting over here, so I'm going to go love... Love should always be our motive. We should be ready in season and out to go show love. Love has to be that motive for everything that we do. Here's the third thing I want to give you about giving um, love and correction. Correction is not the same as judgment. Correction is not the same as judgment. If you leave it at judgment, here's judgment. Judgment loves to point out what's wrong about people. Correction likes to point people to what's right. You see the difference there? Judgment, you just leave it at how wrong and bad you are. Correction is going, hey, I see this going on in your life. Let's make it right because I want your life to be blessed. Right? I wrote down this little saying for myself. I quoted myself to myself. Um, and here's, I'll share it with you because I'm generous. Okay, here it is. Giving judgment benefits me. Giving correction benefits you. Ignoring the problem benefits no one. okay. Giving judgment benefits me. How does it benefit me? Well, it makes me look like the good guy and makes you look like the bad guy. If I go around just to judge, then when I give judgment to someone, all I'm doing is benefiting myself and saying, look, I am so good, and you, you poor little sinner, you need to work hard to look like me one day, right? All I'm doing is feeding my ego. If I'm going around judging, it's self-serving and it's selfish. And all it is is benefiting me to to puff me up with pride and see how good I am and how bad you are. But if I'm giving correction then you benefit because if it's godly, humble, loving correction, all I'm trying to do is get you back closer to Jesus and what our our purpose statement is here at the church, give people the best life possible. But if I'm just quiet and I don't do anything, it benefits no one because I'm still complaining about you, you're still off track, and no one wins at all. So there's a big difference we got to understand about correction and judgment. Here's the fourth thing. Correction is based on God's word and will not your opinion. Correction is based on God's word and his will, but not your opinion. You have a, a, a right to have an opinion, but you don't always have the right to give your opinion, right? Sometimes you can think whatever you want, but you know that if you go and you say it under the disguise and the label of correction, that doesn't always mean that it's healthy and that you have the right to say that, right? There's times when people need to be corrected for sure, but there's times when we just have our own opinions and we have our own standards. Remember the Pharisees back in Jesus' time in Matthew, where Jesus was rebuking them because they had created, they'd taken God's law and then they had added to it with their own oral traditions, right? And then they were holding their own oral traditions the same or higher than God's law. And Jesus said, that's a no-no. You're making your opinions equal to or better than God's word. When we give correction to people, it's got to be based on God's word, check it in the Bible, and his will, what we know about his character for our lives. But sometimes Christians, unfortunately, we all do, we err on the side of opinions, but we label it as godly correction. And we've got to be very careful, careful about that kind of a thing. Just because you believe it doesn't make it right. Here's, here's an example of this. There's people that come to church sometimes, non-Christians or new Christians, and maybe they don't look, dress, talk, or act the way that the rest of us holy people do, right? Because they're like still whatever they are, right? And so we want to come in with our like holy, godly correction and tell them what they're doing wrong and hey, you look wrong and you need to dress and that's a little too tight, honey. And, you know, son, pull up those pants, you know, and we can come in with whatever we come in with. And like, I don't like the way that you talk. This is God's house and, you know, whatever. But sometimes our opinions get in the way of the actual will and work that God is trying to do in someone's life. And we want to major in the minors on people instead of looking at what God sees and what God is trying to bless the big picture and the big heart and the wholeness of the person. And we're so hung up on the way that someone dressed or someone talked. A few months ago, let me make my point with this. A few months ago, I was in the Friday night service. And Friday night service is a, a pretty vocal service. Like they give a lot of good feedback, hint, hint. Like when God is speaking through the pastor, they get excited and they give an amen or something like that from time to time. Okay, just fishing for that, sorry. But Friday night's a pretty vocal service, so then, you know, we get into it and we've got folks from Hinamaka, the Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center up here, we've got all the parents of all the junior hires in our junior high ministry, we've got all these college kids, we've just got a really cool eclectic mix of people, but they're just vocal and they have a good time. You guys the same too, not knocking you, I'm just saying, I like that service too, but they, they come and they're real vocal, but, but there was one guy one week that was like obviously new, probably to the Lord, probably to the church, probably new to sobriety, It sounded like it from what he was saying, But he came, and I'm not knocking it, I'm just describing you this guy. I would be preaching amazing words from God, right? And everyone's saying, amen. One guy was just a little extra excited and he was given, F yeah. (laughs) He was going, he was real excited, right? Everyone else is like, yeah, Carl. And one guy's just given the extra exclamation point, right? The F bomb, F yeah, preacher. And he's sitting in the back and he's giving some of those, F yeah, mother effer, right? (laughs) I'm serious. And people around are like, and I'm hearing it from up here. He was in the back and I'm like, is he saying what he, I think he's saying. Like, so I'd try it out. I'd say something really good and just, yep, he's saying it all right. And after service, I remember the reaction of some of the other people and just like, oh my gosh, you heard what the guy's saying, this and that. But you know what I'm thankful of, at least to my knowledge, is that we didn't have anybody go over there and say, Brother, you can't come to this church. You cannot talk like that. You can't, and I'm not saying it's, that's okay. I'm not saying it's proper that I use that kind of language or that the worship leaders use that kind of language or whatever, but here's what you got to understand. Here's a guy that doesn't know Jesus and he's coming to our church to find Jesus. And when you're in the world, that's how you talk, right? And so he's coming. We got to be careful because we can put our opinions on people and we can miss the work and the will and, the, and what God is trying to do in people's lives. You guys get what I'm trying to say here? Be careful of your own opinion of correction when you've got to see the big, big, big picture that the Pharisees always were um, coming against Jesus and criticizing him. Why do you hang out with these tax collectors and sinners? What did Jesus say? The sick need a doctor. How is the world supposed to, to know Jesus Christ if the church doesn't let him in? if we scare them away because we're so opinionated. Now, I'm not saying that we reject every opinion because there's healthy correction, but sometimes the opinion gets to be more important than God's opinion, right? So we want people to bow to Jesus, not bow to us, right? And so we got to be careful about that. Here's a, here's, um, oh, that was the fourth thing right there. We got to give grace, but let's go into receiving correction because it's just equally as important as giving correction. Verse 14, Paul says this to these Corinthians, and they do not receive correction well. It says, now I'm coming to you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want, I w- I don't want what you have, I just want you. Paul is going, look, I, I'm not trying to get anything out of it, I just, I just love you, I want you to have Jesus. After all, children don't provide for their parents, rather parents provide for their children. I will gladly spend myself and all that I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Some of you admit that I was not a burden to you, that's great. But others of you still think that I was sneaky and I took advantage of you by trickery. But how? Did any of the men that I sent sent to you take advantage of you? When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our our other brother with him, did Titus take advantage of you? No, for we have the same spirit. We walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. Perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants and with God as our witness, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. Some of these guys couldn't receive the correction that Paul was trying to bring them. Even if it was for their own benefit, they couldn't receive it. So I wanna give you four things about how are we to receive correction when people try to speak into our lives and give us cor- correction. Here's one of the things about, about receiving correction. Check the heart behind the words. Check the heart behind the words. Think of when people have come to speak into your life and think of how important it is to know their heart. Because here's Paul saying, Guys, I'm trying to get you back on track, but not for me. I just want you. I don't want anything you can give me, anything I can get out of it. You know that I love Jesus. You know that, that Titus and the other brothers, we're all on the same play page. We're all just in it to love you and to glorify God. Look, I've never been a burden to you. And Paul was trying to say, check my heart behind what I'm saying. Don't just listen to my words. Oh, I'm correcting you. I don't like to be corrected. Wait, Listen to why I'm saying it. It's because I love you. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.14, his previous letter, he said, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Check the heart behind the message when someone is trying to correct you. Don't write them off immediately because you don't want to be corrected. You think you know it all. Listen to the people's hearts that are coming. You know, if my wife is talking to me, my kids, my my friends on staff, my good friends that know my life, if they're coming with humility and they're just saying, Carl, you gotta work on this or something, then I need to listen to their heart and consider the source. These are people that know me and they love me, so I'm gonna listen. I may not wanna hear it, but it's coming from trusted friends, so you know what? I'm gonna be a little bit more open to this thing. And Paul's saying sometimes we just got to listen to the heart. When I was a teenager, man, I didn't like to hear what my parents had to say, especially my dad. And anybody in here can relate? You weren't the greatest kid in the teenage years, right? And um, many times my dad would come and talk to me and he'd just say things for my benefit, but at the time I didn't see it. I wasn't checking the heart behind the words. I was just listening to the words. What, I gotta have a curfew? I gotta come home at 11 o'clock at night? Oh, you know what? You're just bumming me out right now. I'm just mad about that. I don't like to hear those words. I wasn't checking the heart to say, my my dad loves me. He wants to know that I'm safely in the house before he goes to bed or, or whatever. And I'm just thinking, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that you're telling me to clean my room and raise my own money and do all of this stuff. In, in reality, in hindsight, he was trying to build character in me to be a godly man, right? But at the time, I wasn't seeing it. And I used to just like get mad at him and let him just say his whole deal to me and I wouldn't say a word. I'd just stare, stonewall him, right? Just ice him out like. <laughs> Shut the door, go in my room, right? Any of you like that? Or I'm the only evil kid in here. Come on, guys. Make me feel you. Some of you guys are like, Okay. So I used to do this to my dad all the time, and you know, through a matter of circumstances, praise God, God broke me of that, that hard-hearted attitude. Through a breakup of a girlfriend, through all these circumstances, through him convicting me, through a good friend of mine that actually had a talk, took me out to McDonald's in my like 19-year-old, 18-year-old age or whatever, and corrected me, loved me enough to correct me, he was scared doing it, but it was good, and God broke me of all of this. And in the midst of it, I was having these talks with my mom, and she's going, Carl, we've been praying for this forever, that, that attitude that you had, it's so good to see God working in your life and you're, this and that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just want to come back and be a better person. And she goes, yeah, you know, your dad used to struggle so hard. I, go, I know, dad probably hates me, and, you know, he's so frustrated with me. And she goes, she goes, no, no, it's more than frustration and anger. You used to break him down. And I'm like, what do you mean, you know? She goes, no, after every one of those talks where you would just, stonewall his face, you know, and whatever, and walk away and just, that's what I would say, whatever. <laughs> right? Such a um, clutch word, yeah, whatever, so powerful. But I would do that, and she goes, no, he, he would go in the bedroom, shut the door, and he would fall his eyes out. He would cry over you. You're his son, he loves you. And I was just like, oh, oh, you know? It rocked me, and it changed me to learn to be a person that listens for the heart behind the words. When people are trying to correct you, more often than not, Look at the person who it is. Look at the source. If it's someone you love and you trust and they want what's best for you, maybe you ought to listen. Don't take such offense. On the other hand, if the person that's giving you the words of correction or whatever, you check the source and you find out, wait, you're correcting me on this and I'm starting to feel bad about myself, but if I do the homework and I check you out, you're walking around the church and you've just given negative criticism to about 18 other people and I consider the source and I go, I think that's just judgment. I think you're just putting stuff on. I'm going to go ahead and refuse to receive the words you're giving me because it was going to make me feel bad about myself. But I'm going to check the source. I don't think you're in the right attitude or the right spirit. There's times when people are going to give you advice. You've got to check the source and you've got to check the heart behind the words. Here's what the Bible says um, regarding this in Psalm 141, verse 5. David himself said, let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. In other words, it's going to be good for my life. He says, don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. Now, there are some people, you listen to the words and you check the heart and you go, your heart's bad. You're just trying to put me down or you're just trying to criticize me and I can confirm it with, it's, it's a pattern in your life. You're not submitted to anyone. You don't let anyone speak into your life. So you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and say, no thanks. I'm not gonna, re- I'm not gonna listen to those words. But check the heart behind the words. Here's the second thing about receiving those words of correction. Check the words. Behind the heart. Just as much as you want to check the heart of the person that's saying it, you also want to verify that the words line up with God's will for your life, and it's not just someone that you trust and you love speaking kind words that are good words, but they're not God's words in your life. Does that make sense? Check the words behind the heart. Sometimes we trust people so much that we automatically accept their words, right? And we go, oh, but they're such a good person. They love me, and they're doing it. But sometimes they're just shooting from the hip and just saying stuff right? They're not trying to disrupt your life or say something bad, but you just hang on every word they say, and you just go and obey, like, yeah, you know what? Even if I had to quit my job, it would just help me strengthen my faith in God. Maybe you should do that, and you're like, okay, I'm quitting my job because I want to have faith in God, right? And they didn't really mean it, or they said it, and, and you need to go and say, wait, what does the Bible say? The Bible says use wisdom, the Bible says get confirmation if someone gets me a word. The Bible says check the Holy Spirit in my life for discernment and see if that's right or wrong. He's given us steps to confirm what people say. Don't just go along with what they say. Here's a perfect example with Jesus. Mark 8, 31 to 33. Jesus began to tell them, his disciples, that he himself, the son of man, must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and all the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus, to correct him for saying such things. In other words, Peter had this awesome heart. Jesus was one of his best friends, his mentor, his savior. And he's going, Jesus, let me just correct you for a little bit. You know what? I love you. Don't talk about you're going to die. That's terrible. We don't want to hear that news. Don't do that. How did dare- Jesus, just stop all of that. You're going to die business, right? And what did Jesus say? He kind of came back at him with a little bit of a rebuke with a little bit of correction. Himself, look at verse 33. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter, and what did he say? Get away from me, Satan. Right, that's gnarly. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. I gotta admit, I feel a little bit bad for Peter in this situation, don't you? The poor guy's just saying, we love you, don't talk that way. And Jesus could have just clearly said, dude, look, you're just seeing things from a good perspective, but there's a bigger picture. It's God's perspective. Okay, we got that clear? Now run along. But instead, Peter gets ripped a new one. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Peter gets put on blast. Get away from me, Satan. You know, I can just imagine Peter like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I love you. You know, Peter goes into counseling over it. But, But the point that Jesus is trying to make is that we need to be careful because sometimes we have our own point of view and people want to give you correction and they're good, well meaning people, but we got to make sure that it's not just good words, it's God's words. We got to make sure it lines up with the Bible, lines up with God's will for our life. We get confirmation from other godly people and like, hey, what do you think about this word? And let's pray into it. What does the Holy Spirit have to say? What does the Word of God have to say? That's what I mean when I say check the words behind the heart. Sometimes you just got to confirm that good hearted people might not be saying the absolute best, just something that seems kind of good. Here's the third thing about um, receiving correction, check your own heart and attitude. Sometimes the problem with not receiving good godly correction is you, is me, that we have the wrong attitude, we're not willing to receive correction at all. It's not anyone else's heart or words or anything that, it's just us saying, I don't want anyone to tell me I'm wrong because I think I'm right all the time. And it's, it's that we would be able to check ourselves and say, Am I even willing to God speaking in my life? Am I willing to admit that I could actually be wrong, that someone actually might have a point? They're coming to correct me and I don't like it, but you know what? It's, it's kind of true. <laughs> I kind of am living the life that they're, they're talking about. Sometimes we're our biggest problem and it's our own attitude check that we need to bring about. Um, am I willing to receive godly advice or correction from not just my peers, that I re- my, my, my leaders that I respect, but my peers maybe? Maybe and even maybe people beneath me, like my followers. See, godly advice is still godly advice no matter who gives it. And we gotta realize that sometimes God uses children to speak into our lives. I was talking to a brother, he had to leave already, but he was this morning, and he said, part of the, re- the thing that brought him to Jesus Christ was he was a- against all of it and everybody witnessing to him, but his friend's little daughter was encouraging him to find Jesus and speak to Jesus, and that broke his heart. And we gotta understand, are we willing and open enough to receive godly correction from whoever is giving it? Sometimes the most random people will have a word from the Lord for you if you're open to receive it. But if you're automatically like, no, I'm good, and I don't trust you, then you miss out. So sometimes we need to check our own heart and attitude. Here's a fourth thing when receiving correction. Know that correction is good for me. To know that correction is good for me. And then kind of a couple sub points under that. Correction is not rejection correction brings protection. It's good for me. If I understand that it's, it can benefit my life, it's not people rejecting me and making me feel bad, but it can actually bring protection if I'm willing to understand that it, it could bring life. Proverbs 10, 17 says, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. I was reading in the book of Jonah recently. The whole book of Jonah is about God telling Jonah, Jonah, Go talk to the people of Nineveh. I'm going to destroy them because they're evil. You need to correct them. And perhaps if they get corrected, they'll come back on that pathway to life and I will spare them. And Jonah instantly runs away. And you know the whole story. But when Jonah finally did make it to Nineveh, he said, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. And they said, we don't want that. We'll take the correction, right? We're open to that correction. We're going to receive that correction. Well, correction is good for us. They repented, they prayed, they fasted, God spared them. It led to good life we got to understand in our own lives that correction can actually be a good thing. If someone's trying to speak, there's going to be something good that comes out of it. There's a reason that I need to be correct, corrected. It's going to protect my life. My youngest daughter, Sam, four years old, um, with our new puppy, Richter. She's always getting into it where we're hearing, we're upstairs in the bedroom. She's downstairs, Dad! She's screaming. She's crying, Dad! Richter! It's Richter! And we go downstairs, and she's like, ah! And her hand is like in his mouth, right? He's puppy, and he's just like, Ah! And she's like, ah, crying. Dad, get him off, get him off. And, I, and she's like, he always bites me. And, I, and so I give her a little word of correction that I always give her. Sam, when you chase Richter around the house and you're dancing around him and screaming and you put your hand in his mouth, <laughs> he's going to bite you. And it's going to hurt. And it's not going to be good. Why do you always do that? And here's a basic principle is when you want to correct someone, it's for good. And if Sam would just understand that the correction and the words that I'm speaking to her are good. She's not going to get bit by the dog. She's going to understand. Correction is a good thing. Sometimes we need to learn that simple lesson is that when someone's trying to correct us, take a minute, consider, consider the source, check the heart, check the words, pray on it, and realize this is actually going to better my life. It's a good thing. Okay, and and here's the final point that I want to make is that when we give correction or we receive correction, make sure it's real correction. Let's not play the shallow game. Let's not just play the little, praise the Lord, hope you're doing okay. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Let's get into each other's lives. And if people are off track, get them back on it, no matter what kind of topics they're off track with. Be willing to ask the hard questions. And if someone's asking you the hard questions, be willing to stir that stuff up and get it out because it brings freedom. Here's what Paul says in verse 20. I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find and, and you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You've not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. Paul wasn't afraid to address the hard topics. You guys see that? The stuff he's calling out on people, no one is gonna like them being called out on those things. But Paul says, it's for your benefit. And if I'm gonna get real with you, I'm gonna get real with you. I'm going to get deep and we're going to talk about these subjects in your life. We're not going to leave it at shallow. When I go to mini church, I expect that I'm going to really get into people's lives and they're going to really get into my life because I need that. And so at mini church, if someone's asking you a question, it's not going to be like, hey, can we pray for you? Yeah, I was angry at my boss today. Okay, let's pray for anger at the boss. No, can we push it a little step further and go, do you have ongoing anger problems in your life? Is there maybe some unforgiveness or bitterness that you have from way back? that we need to really get real and raw and uncensored with so we can heal the whole you, not just the little part of it. Here's three things I want to give you about being real and uncensored. First of all, write this down. Kill the root, not just the fruit. If there is a tree of sin that has taken root and is growing in your life and you're seeing the symptoms of it, the fruit, a lot of times what we want to do is take that fruit, yank it off the tree, and kill that fruit. Well, you know what happens? It grows right back because we didn't kill the roots of sin in our lives. We don't want to go deep. We just want to, yeah, I'll pray for you, and that's good. But God may be saying, you want a real correction? You want to really help that brother that sister? Go deep. Get real. Kill the root of that sin in their life, not just the fruit. Treat the disease, not just the symptom. If someone's walking around with pneumonia, and they've been hacking and coughing for two months, and they're just like, ah, do you offer them a cough drop? Or do you tell them to go to the doctor and get penicillin? Right? Think about that. But in our lives, sometimes, we want to be people that, I corrected him but you're not really getting into it in their life. If you really love someone, be willing to get real and to take it deep. In James 1.15, it says, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, we gotta go real and be deep in people's lives. That means on the giving part and also on the receiving part. If we want true freedom, we gotta really go deep. Here's the second thing about real and uncensored correction. If you care enough to complain, you should care enough to correct if it's disturbing your life so much that you're aware of the problem in someone else's life, and I'm looking at Frank over here, and I just, oh, Frank, he's got that problem, and I'm over here so bothered by it, right? I'm telling my wife about it. Man, his pants are just too high. He (laughs) pegs his jeans, and I see his ankles, and that bothers me. I gotta need to set Frank straight with some fashion advice, and man, I can just see those ankles, and it bugs me. You know, I'm just making something up for the sake of, I love your ankles, Frank, they're beautiful. But I'm saying if I got something that I'm all complaining about and I'm just like, uh ah, you know what my wife will say to me so often, then, then not she'll come around and she'll go, oh, did you talk to him about it? No. Right? Well, whose fault is that then? Right? It's my fault at that point. And if I, if I care enough to complain about someone, they ought to, I ought to care enough to go in there and correct it. Because otherwise, they're going to keep doing it and I'm going to keep being bothered. So nobody wins, right? But if I'm actually care enough to go, nah, I see that, they're headed for a fall, they're getting into that relationship, it's not going to be good, it's not going to be good. Oh, did you talk to them about it? Oh, no, I should do something about it. If I care enough to complain, I better care enough to correct that in, in someone's life. Here's the third thing about real and uncensored correction, whether you give it or you receive it. Write this one down, this is very important. Being real is embarrassing. Just know that right off the bat. Being real and deep and uncensored like this, it is embarrassing. It should be embarrassing to a Christian. Shouldn't sin be embarrassing to a Christian? We should never get to the point where we are happy and complacent and okay with sin in our lives. It should always be convicting and it should always stir up a little bit of like, oh yeah, I am embarrassed. I'm trying to live for God and I'm dealing with this. However, here's what I want you to hear and I want you to hear my heart on this. How much better is it to expose the sin to be embarrassed, but then to be completely free of that in your life versus someone that says, I'm going to save face, so I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to hide the sin, and then I'm walking around with the bondage and the burdens of sin all the rest of the days of my life, and this sucks. Do you want to be a little bit embarrassed and find total freedom in Jesus Christ, or do you want to be someone that saves face and lets the sin go unchecked? Yes, being real is embarrassing, but it's worth the embarrassment. Amen? And when I've had people before call me on stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm telling you. Yes, I did. Yes, I'm so ashamed. I'm such a sinner. I'm such this. But if they're coming with the right heart, and they love me, and they're not pronouncing judgment on me, but they're just trying to get me back on track, then you know what? The embarrassment quickly disappears when I'm able to really let go of the exhaustion of trying to hide it in my life, And go yep there it is and i expose it and then guess what happens the holy spirit jesus comes in my church family members love on me and suddenly i'm not carrying that weight anymore and the embarrassment's gone because i can walk with my head held high not look back over my shoulder what a good thing yep sin's embarrassing being real is embarrassing get over the embarrassment and find freedom in jesus christ is that good has this been a good word for you guys this morning let's bow our heads let's pray and let's just thank god god we love you. We love your word. We love the fact that you've called us to do things that make us uncomfortable, but they are for the betterment of our walk with you and those in our lives around us, Lord, that know you and want to walk walk according to the purposes and the plans and the lifestyle that you have for them and for us, Father God. I pray that we'd be a church that is bold enough and loving enough to correct one another, to bring instruction, to bring confrontation, to bring help. Lord, not judgment, but proper correction that would believe in people and give them the best life possible. Help us, Lord, to see if there's something wrong. We should do something about it, Lord. And all, on the other side of it, let us be humble enough to receive the correction when people speak into our lives, people that love us, people that know us. And Lord, sometimes we gotta admit they do have a point. And so I pray, Father God, that we would be able to give to receive and we would do it with all all realness, Father God, that we would go deep in people's lives, that we wouldn't just address light, shallow issues, Lord, but we would really get this stuff out of one another's lives. We'd care enough to really correct and to get in there, Father God.